Hi everyone and welcome back to the Parma podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm really honoured today to welcome uh, Rashid Darden to the show. Um, um, an award-winning novelist and a lot of other things, doing a lot of um, advocacy, doing a lot of other work. Um, got an incredible story. I'm excited to have you on. So welcome, Rashid. Thank you so much for having me, James. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really an honor to have you on. Um, yeah, and uh, you do you do so much. Do, you, I've been doing my research and finding out more about what you do, and it's it's incredible. Um, yeah, and very prolific author as well, and a fan of pop culture like me. So uh, that's uh, that's really awesome. So um, yeah, just tell us just tell us a bit of your story. Sure. Um, so we live in a in a time where there there are those people who say, "Oh, I don't like labels. I'm just a human being." Um, no, I love labels. <laughs> labels are helpful for classifying who I am and what my interests are. And I am black. I am gay. I am a Quaker. I am African American. I. And and I'm I'm a lover of life, and I'm also a lover of peace and quiet, and um and I'm a man in my forties, and there are just so many things to be grateful for in this life, and I'm grateful for all it is that I am and the ways in which they intersect. Wow, that's a great introduction. And I'm a novelist. You said that, but I I, I realize I yeah. just forgot to also say I'm a novelist. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, very prolific. There's lots of, um, lots of, lots of, lots of books. Um, yeah, and yeah, just um, just reading your about page on your website, and it was uh, epic, epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I, I'm glad that you read it because there's, it, it is hard, you know, as as I just said, like I'm I'm fine with labels. It is it's sometimes hard to classify my writing. It's sometimes hard to classify my beliefs. Um, as far as my writing goes, I began my writing career in earnest, self-published in 2005, and my first three novels are about a young black gay man in college that uh, pledges a fraternity and subsequently starts a relationship with a varsity basketball player, um, deals with a little bit of post-traumatic stress from the hazing experiences of joining the fraternity. And, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, being self-published, you know, you reread, you catch, you know, an error here or there, and and you think to yourself, oh, God, I can't believe this has been out here for all this time, and people must think that, you know, I'm I'm a hack. Um, But, I, I, I'm very grateful that nobody has at least called me a hack. And um, my work really speaks to those who uh, also live those experiences, uh, being African-American on a predominantly white college campus. Um, and, and after those books, and there's a, a spinoff book, Yours in the Bond, I now write in the speculative fiction genre. And I'm, I'm writing a series called... Uh, the Dark Nation series, which begins with Birth of a Dark Nation, which is about African vampires who come to America during the slave trade. And I have a sequel to that called Children of Fury, which is about uh, Black and Latino students in an alternative school setting 
who encounter a mystical teacher who leads wow. them to uh, supernatural powers. So kind of like what we were talking about uh, off the mic earlier about the pop culture thing. It, it is sort of a superhero novel, but it's also a little scary and, and a little, uh, you know, yeah, uh, a little fantastic. Sounds fascinating, that story. Um, yeah, I mean, like so many areas that could delve into, you know, like um, an empowered kind of set of black vampires coming into an America where you know, black people are in safe slavery. Um, right. And, and, and you know, what I, what I wanted to do with that story, um, I can't say my writing is influenced by Toni Morrison. I'm no, by no means similar to Toni Morrison in style, but I knew that the purpose of writing the book was not just to entertain. I really wanted to, with Birth of a Dark Nation, I wanted to tell a story, not just of the vampires, but of collective trauma. And what happens rather than this generational trauma, what if it's only in one generation, where one generation experiences the transatlantic slave trade and slavery and Jim Crow America all in one black body? Um, Mm. And I hope I did, you know, such a story justice while while these these people also struggle to keep their African traditions alive. So, um, you know, it's as much about trauma as it is about history and the fantastic and the scary. Yeah. And that's what I love about. Love about good fiction. Good fiction always seems to tell tell the truth on some level. Right. Right. Mm-hmm, That's my experience, mm-hmm. especially in movies, because I'm uh, my my experience of fiction is mainly in movies. Mm-hmm. And one thing I always notice with the best ones is there's always there's always something true that's in in the story. There's always something you know um, deeper that's going on. Um, and I, I, mean, I love talking about that. People who listen to this podcast know that I love talking about that. We've had a load of episodes where we've gone into. Um, well, we've kind of kind of looked at geek philosophy, and we've looked at we've looked at some of the MCU series, for example. We, right. um, I talked with my friend Drew Brown about, um, uh, you know, the um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the kind of issues of systemic racism in there yep. and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was really fascinating. So yeah, it's there's always truth kind of within the story. And uh, well, is, isn't it fascinating how, at least in American culture, uh, our mainstream fans just don't want to hear about it? So it seems they, they don't want their mythology to be tainted by, you know, race stories, if you will. They don't want to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, like, but it, it's fascinating to me because when you inject the African-American experience into superhero mythology like the racism you know it still exists it's still you must deal with it in in a in a fictive sort of way um you can't just pretend that slavery never you know existed when you have you know black superman or you know valzad or 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 whoever or like you said the falcon and the winter soldier exactly yeah and yeah i mean I'm, i'm i'm fascinated by what's going to be what's going to happen with the um the Superman movie that's written by Tanisha Coates. Um, that's going to be a fascinating, fascinating thing, given his, you know, the work that he's done before. Um, right. 
it's uh, it's going to be fascinating because, like I was saying to other people, Superman ultimately was when he was created was wasn't an agent of the establishment. He was an agent of he was a social justice warrior. He was somebody who stood against the system, not for the system. Right, got turned into a symbol of the system. Yeah. Um. So I'm guessing um, this is just a guess, but I think that well, that's the Superman we're going to see, the one that is fighting against the system, fighting against oppressive systems rather than standing for them and that's going to be a really fascinating dynamic to see in a movie i think so too i i really hope they can pull it off yeah i hope so i hope they find the right director and sounds like they're looking for good directors for that so um some people like some of the names i've seen so yeah yeah and the things stories like this are really really important like black panther was a really really important movie and i've seen some seen you talk about black panther elsewhere as well and why why it's so important. One of the things that I that stuck out for me when you talked about that was that uh, Wakanda is a, is a nation where um, there has there's been no colonialism, there's been no mm-hmm. oppression, there's been that that's never happened. Right. It's kind of almost like a fantasy of what it could what what the world could be like if that hadn't happened. Right. Um, and why those stories are important. Yeah. So that was that was fascinating to see. Like, what was your experience of that movie? My so you know when Channel Four interviewed me for that. Uh, one thing I must point out there, my Ethiopian friends were like, "Um, hello, never colonized," and I was like, "Well, yeah, not colonized, but influenced, you know, for sure, and fighting against, you know, a colonial system, right?" So um, I, I was corrected uh, shortly after that dropped, but. My experience actually seeing the movie and so the first thing is my fraternity, uh, Alpha Phi, one of my fraternities, fraternities, Alpha Phi Alpha, um, rented out a theater in Maryland and uh, sold tickets themselves to the public as a chapter fundraiser. So, you know, we, you know, spent probably twice as much for the ticket, but it was a, a fundraiser for the community. And it was so interesting seeing everybody, you know, in my fraternity, other fraternities and sororities supporting. It was a very communal experience. And everybody in the room was not necessarily a Marvel fan or a comic book fan, but they were people who supported the culture. And even though, you know, Marvel is not a black owned business, it still felt correct it still felt like the right thing to do was to be together in community for this moment. Um, So when I think about my experience viewing it, I view it as a communal experience. And that, that, you know, Mm -hmm. is something that I've only experienced culturally. I have not experienced elsewhere um, in terms of race. And then other than seeing like uh, the star Wars sequels with a, with a huge group, um, that is the only thing that comes close. In terms of the story, in terms of the acting, you know, it was very much a Marvel movie and it was good. It was well done. The special effects were good. I think that it was really interesting seeing people react to uh, Killmonger. And and I dare say there, there are a lot of people that felt, you know, hashtag Killmonger was right, you know, um, and mm. uh, there, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was as stark as a Magneto and Professor X kind of thing or a uh, Malcolm Malcolm X and Martin Luther King sort of thing, but Mm. there were points made and and there were um, 
you know, Killmonger was sort of denied his birthright and 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 it was very it was very compelling. It was very compelling. I did not expect it to end with such finality, uh, that particular storyline. But um I really did not regret seeing it. I enjoyed the communal aspects and um, I can only imagine, you know, the, the filmmakers have said themselves several times, like, we're not recasting T'Challa. We're not recasting. Like, we, it, they have said it's too painful for them to move on in this way. But um, that said, I'm interested in seeing what, you know, the sequel is going to look like and how it's going to feel in the absence of Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, that was such a great loss um, as well. I, I, I really felt that deeply, actually, when that happened. It was yeah. palpable. Um, and, um, yeah, because there were so many great stories. I think he was a great man. Um, Very. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I mean, when you think about it, he was, he, he was, he was ill when he was ill when he was making that movie, right? right. And nobody right. knew. So Lots of, he had cancer for like four years. And when you think about some of his greatest roles, they were all in that, you know, time period. And it, it really, it, it is amazing. I am glad that he was able to give us those things uh, in, in that process. But I also, I, I don't want people out there to think that, you know, hey, if Chadwick could push through cancer, I can do anything. Well, some of us need to just sit down and rest. So, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We yeah. are not all Chadwick, and we don't all have to be. That's very true. That's very true. Um, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so kind of, what was your what's what was kind of going kind of back to your story a little bit? What was your kind of lived experience growing up, and how does that how has that influenced what you've written and what you've created and because often I think, like like we say, a lot of fiction is it's our it's partly it's partly our story that we're sharing with other people, just in a different way, with different language, with different names, you know. So, how much of your lived experience has, inf- has influenced your writing? That is a wonderful question, and and normally I'm a little bit cagey with the answer, but um, I feel pretty comfortable telling telling a little more of my story. Um, so I was raised by a single mom in uh, Washington, D.C., and I spent uh, my first 40 years in Washington. It's only recently that I moved down to a rural North Carolina. Um, my father was not in my life. My father is now deceased. Um, and I do not know why he made the decision to not be part of my life. I have subsequently met my half siblings. I have a decent relationship with most of them. And um anyway, so being it just being me and my mom and I'm an only child in her household, I had not from her but internally, I had a constant sense of pressure to succeed. Um and it it was intrinsic. It wasn't, you know, my mom was pretty laid back. My mom would let me kind of watch anything, you know, within reason. Like I was a, I read Jackie Collins novels at an early age. Um, and, and my mom was kind of, you know, my mom was much more in a consultant, uh, role than a manager role. So Hmm. by the time I got to junior high school, um, 
she was letting me make decisions for my own life. If, if I didn't have an aptitude for math, you know, who cares? Like, you know, then then do something in the humanities. And there was also like, like many of us who don't have an aptitude for math, as an example, it's like, you know, our parents bring us as far as they can. And then, you know, you're on your own. Um, the absence of my father plays a plays a role in my character, Adrian Collins and Lazarus. And Adrian is the young gay uh, man in college who joins his fraternity. And he one of the reasons that he wants to join this fraternity, and for your listeners who might not be American, fraternities are basically clubs that are identified by Greek letters and unique symbols and, and secret ceremonies. Less complicated than Freemasons, more complicated than, you know, a drinking club. Mm-hmm. So he wants to join this fraternity that is based in African-American and Latino heritage and tradition uh, because he does feel a sense of loneliness, but also he wants to be more connected to uh, his father, who in, in Lazarus, his father is absent. And he uh, he's sort of seeking his father in the faces of the members of the fraternity. And um, in the book, he does not reunite with his father, but he does meet older men who do know who his father is. And um, he ends up reuniting with his father in a subsequent book, um, which is not a major spoiler. Um, And I would say that as I wrote that, I was imagining, well, what if my father had been an alpha, which is the fraternity I chose? how would I feel to be following in his footsteps, even though I didn't know him very well? And I would, again, the absence of my father is really a a lot of the major early influence. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's, he's deceased now. I don't miss him. Like, I, you know, I'm not trying to be a downer, but I think there are people that are in your life for a reason. I think there are people who are not in your life for a reason. And, um, and I think therapists are in your life for a reason. And between, between therapy and good friends and a mom who taught me how to be a good person, because I think good parents raise good people. Um, I don't think it's about raising a man or raising a woman. It's about raising somebody with common sense and empathy. And my mom was a su- success at that. And my father abdicated. What is different uh, between Adrian and me in 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 these books is that Adrian does have the opportunity to work on his relationship with his father, to to come out to his father, to um, introduce his subsequent husband to his father, and um, and it is not a painful experience. It is not him getting disowned for like a second time. The other parts of my books that are me, um, that I can't, that I'll cop to, um, I am not my characters. Adrian makes a lot of decisions that Rashid Darden would never make. Um, but Adrian's sense of humor, Adrian's voice, Adrian's sarcasm. Um, my most recent book, Children of Fury, probably in the back of my head, I wanted to write a superhero version of myself you know uh the, this the the teacher um uh Kyron Towers Mr. Towers um he is i don't know if he's immortal but he is very old and very wise and his students love him his students are in love with him um there's a train in the back sorry i live i live on the wrong side of the tracks um <laughs> no problem and um 
I did kind of want to, you know, think of myself, well, you know, how would I act if, if I had the ability to lead these students, uh, to and through these supernatural abilities? Um, but he too makes decisions that I would not, uh, you know, make, uh, he is a thousands year old being that begins a love affair with, you know, a student who is of age, by the way, but a student that is also in his care. And, you know, uh, I, I really wanted to investigate, you know, the, the blurred lines there and what kind of responsibility a, a teacher has to their adult student, but also sort of like the Doctor Who question, like, you know, do we really want to see Doctor, you know, the Doctor kiss Rose? Like, do we really want to see Martha and all this, you know, this sexual tension or Yaz and the current doctor for that? Yeah, episode? yeah, Never. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I must say that most recent episode, I was like, yeah, oh, they in love. I, I like know, this. I, was like, I actually didn't, I, I didn't see it before then. It was like. Me either. Everyone had gossiped about it, right? And yeah, like, yeah, I was yeah. joking about it. And like, yeah. I mean, in that episode, it was like, oh my God, like this is actually real. Like it was I right had there. kind of a, this is like a Rose 10th doctor kind of thing. Like, yep. I'm a, and like, I was actually crying. It was, yeah, it was, it was very was, emotional. Um, yeah. Um, and you're kind of like, don't you dare leave her again, doctor. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was, it was just like, wow, this is, this is so, and, and I think it was beautiful because it wasn't obvious. It wasn't kind Correct. of over or like, you know, Oh yeah. You know, they're doing that for, you know, to tick a box or whatever. It was just a natural evolution of their relationship. Right. Was, um, Very natural. And um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. It was, I just, they had this moment and then it was just broken. <laughs> um, and it reminded me of a moment in uh, with Rose and the doctor, which was kind of like that, but then was broken. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I struggle with, I, I enjoyed Russell Davies, take on the doctor and that was my first entree into you know new who um but i did find that davies was just so overwrought like from from the the storylines to uh the musical choices were just so like to me they were a little overdone i like a little more subtlety and although i think that chibnall is a little too subtle because I don't think he always knows, you know, mm, like I yeah. don't know what the story Bible looks like. I am not convinced the story Bible is finished for, uh, for his term. But, um, but I think that gave him space to be a little more, um, to inject those moments where it's like, yeah, was it there all along? Maybe, but it's there now and it's beautifully done. But I wanted to ask you, did you find the conclusion to flux to be fulfilling? Um, I, I've only seen it once. Um, okay. and I, I think it was, it felt like an end almost for this doctor, like the, or the, certainly the beginning of the end for this doctor, right? It's like, yeah, they've had this kind of big experience, like, um, and really that last episode, they're almost on she's almost on her own just going and interjecting in different people's lives um, all at once and kind of having literally being torn apart in different, in different places Yeah. Um, before being unified again. 
Um, and then has this moment with Yaz as well. Like, right. It's almost like she's come, been taken apart and come back to herself. And almost that's that's what's kind of this time apart has actually made them realize their their emotions, their feelings for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she also knows because um, she had this, I think it was time itself told her this is the beginning of her end. And so she knows she's crying because she knows that as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, doesn't know that, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's going to be some moment when that happens, um, when the last time they see each other. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of felt it was, it felt like almost the end of her story. Yeah. It was, um, or the beginning of the end of her story, you know, like um, we're now getting into, and then there's kind of two or three specials. Right. And then, and then it's her, then that's it, you know, and it feels strange because she doesn't feel like she's been the doctor for very long, but, nah. um, but I've really liked Jodie Whittaker. I think she's an incredible actress as well. Um, I think so too. I saw, I did not see broad church until at maybe after I saw the second season of uh, oh, right. her second season. So I watched broad church and I was like, Oh, she's really good. Yeah. Like if I was judging her just on her take as the doctor, I'd say, okay, I mean, she's, a, she's a passable doctor, but that I've seen the range elsewhere um, mm-hmm. really makes me appreciate her more. And, you know, COVID has put a wrinkle in, in things and, you know, just crappy fans on the internet make you oh. like not want to participate yeah. in the chats because they're awful. They're awful. They're like, why is it peace? Like it's only politically correct when it's a woman or when it's a black person. And mm. and the thing is, if it's politically correct, well, who would want to be wrong? Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. This, yeah. And it, that annoyed me as well. It's always annoyed me about, Jodie, because uh, she's a legitimately great actress, and I, yeah, I, I watched Broadchurch when she was first cast as the Doctor before her first episode. Okay, um, and I loved it, and it's really funny that the Broadchurch she's starring alongside David Tennant, who was the tenth Doctor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and actually, I see a lot of echoes of his of, of Tennant's Doctor in her Doctor, which is I think so too. There's similarities, even with the thing with Yaz, right? Yeah, there's, yep. there's there's so many different like, and then of course Captain Jack and you know he comes back and so there's lots of kind of links to to ten. I'd love yeah. to see those two together on screen. By the way, that would be uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the reaction. Like, I mean it's interesting isn't it? the reaction to a woman a woman playing the Doctor, and um, I don't know what the reaction was to Yaz and the Doctor, um, um, because that's an LGBTQ relationship right right so, right um which is a huge in doctor who um i think it's brilliant you know I, I, it was, and it was brilliant because it caught everyone by surprise and nobody really expected it <laughs> um it would have been much more difficult it been built up over time right um i'm just curious now who they're going to cast as the next doctor like i'd like it to be i'd like it to be a black woman me too um but um, we'll see what he does because Russell T Davis is casting it, so right. Interesting who who they pick, but uh, well, yeah. Well, I think being American and not really being as uh, keyed in on uh, British actors and whatnot, I remember watching whatever special it was in which uh, the Doctor was announced, and it was it was Peter Capaldi, 
And uh, I remember watching like, ooh, I wonder who was going to be. And and the announcer says, Pizza Capaldi. And I'm <laughs> like, who the hell is that? But I just, you know, he's yeah. not as known over here. Now, I love him and he is my favorite doctor. Um, but I just was like, okay, I'm never going to invest in the reveals anymore because I'm obviously not going to know who it is unless it's, you know, like Chew as Hell, Edgeo 4 or something like that, which who I don't think is going to be. No, he's probably too big. That's the thing with the Doctor. You can't cast someone who's too well-known for something else. Right. Like, Because I always fantasized about Benedict Cumberbatch being the Doctor, right? But that's never going to Once he was in Sherlock, that was never going to happen. Yeah, yeah, um, yep, yep. Um, sadly. So, um, but I'm still hopeful that one day he'll get cast as the Master, maybe. But, um, Ooh, that would be uh, good. But yeah, who knows? Like, you know, one-off, one-off, one-off episode, maybe. I don't know. But... But yeah, I mean, it's where do we where do we even get into that? But uh, well, um, it's the even... doctor that we, we we can never not take the opening when we talk about the doctor. Yeah, but absolutely. we got there because I was talking about the ethics of having you know and a nearly immortal character having a romantic relationship with a mortal. Oh, I um, see. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that is the doctor, isn't it? Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Even with um, um. Uh, his wife. Oh, my, my mind's got River Song. River Song. My one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I mean, she's she's not immortal, although she lives longer than most human beings. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, that was the way they did that relationship over the over so many series was I was beautiful. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I re- and I didn't when I first got introduced to the character, or even you know when the character kind of first concluded uh, under 11, um, like I, I did not think that they would be able to show her again. Um, but the way they did brought her with Capaldi, it made a lot of sense. And it was, to me, a very fitting uh, conclusion. So It was. It was a part of me that wanted her to, to appear opposite Jodie um, to see the dynamic of that. Yeah. Uh, and there was actually a moment where I think she kind of just pauses to remember her or something. I can't remember. It was just a really brief moment or something. I, I can't remember. But yeah. Um, but we got it with we got it with Yaz and the Doctor anyway, which was kind yeah. of even better. Mm-hmm, um, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's 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 always really interesting how people react to to you know whether to to women or to black people or to whatever being cast in a role that's not traditionally been played by right a woman or a black person or whatever right. you know like um because it, some people can be really aggressive <laughs> like upset about it and yeah um yeah which kind of is you know and they're going oh it's all politically correct and everything like that and it's like no it's like this is the doctors actually said before that they're not one gender like They've actually said it in an episode before. Yep. So it's not like they made this up with it for an excuse, you know? Yeah. And it's about time we had a woman doctor. Seriously. Um, and mainly it's white men who complain about this stuff. So pretty much. Um, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really interesting. And again, it's it's I, I love that they've they've done that because it's more it makes it more of a reflection of the world we live in. Truly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and um yeah, it's I been mean, to see where they go. I mean, that that's, you know, to my writing, it's, I think all good writing, I think, is sort of 
both the reflection of the world we're in and the world that we ought to have. So why science fiction is so important. I, I also watched Star Trek Discovery, um, which mm. I didn't watch for a long time. I didn't because when I first watched it, they were saying like, oh, it's before the Enterprise. And I was like, I'm tired of them going back to the same. Well, I don't want to be in the past. I want to know what happens after, you know, the next generation. And uh, of course, uh, Discovery does go to the future eventually. And um, to, to, to my satisfaction. But, you know, the original version of Star Trek, the original versions of the Twilight Zone, like the original versions of these things were very in my opinion, subtle attempts at diversity, at anti-racism, at gender equality. Um, at they were they were good stabs at social issues. And of course, you know, the written science fiction is the same. But we now live in an era where people feel put upon by diversity. And like they they don't believe in what we would say, you know, we would call affirmative action, meaning, you know, if you have the choice between, you know, a white person and a person of color, well, you choose, you know, of equal, you know, uh, uh, value, if you will, then why not choose the person of color? And it, it seems as that there there's so many people of European descent who are just, they just want things the way they've always been. And I remember the first week of the pandemic and I went out with a mask on and I locked eyes with somebody and they, she was just like, good morning. How are you? And, and I just looked at her and I said, I just want things to be how they used to be. And uh, she was like, oh, sweetie, it will be, it will be. Um, but it's not going to be the way it used to be. And in fact, no. and I'm, I'm on my soapbox just for, just for a moment um, about the pandemic. After I started masking and realized that I have not caught a cold in two years, I think I'll keep it. <laughs> I think that now that I've gotten used to this thing, this thing I wear on my face when I go outdoors, and I see like, oh, entire cultures have been doing this. Okay, I was wrong before. I am going to do this now because it keeps me safe. And I think that if you use that analogy for people of European descent that are so harshly criticizing the content that we consume that now is more overtly culturally diverse. I want them to look at a, at a, at a woman doctor and say, wow, we could have had 12 of these before. Or I want them to look at a black Star Trek captain and say, wow, we could have had a, a woman captain in the eighties, but we didn't. What was wrong with us? But there, there is that that natural. I think it is a very human resistance. Nobody wants to lose themselves in what they see in the content that they consume. Instead of thinking, "Wow, my empathy can be built by consuming something from a culture that is not mine," or seeing someone, you know, from a, a culture different from mine, and mm. it's sad and it's maddening and. All I do as as a writer is to combat that. I just try to write good books. I just try to say like, hey, give it a chance or not. I don't care. It's going to get written anyway. Um, and whether I die a millionaire or I die, you know, <laughs> impoverished, at least the books will have been written anyway, regardless of what people think they ought to be seeing in them. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. 
just make the work that's there to be made, whether whatever the response is. It's not about mm. the response. It's about this is in me. I, I've got to make this. I'm going to tell this story regardless of the outcome because I, right. because I want to tell this story and the story needs to be told. And that's, yeah, that's absolutely love. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the heart of creativity for me. Just make something that you that is inside of you that you want to bring into the world that it, that wants to be birthed. It's not about the outcome. It's not about the reception. It's not about how many people read it or listen to it or buy it. It's about the fact that you made it and it matters because you made it. Right. Um, right. And yeah, and we need more voices like yours in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. We need more stories that the kind of stories that you're telling and um yeah, and I'm excited to go and read all your books because. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, so they, I, yeah. Go ahead. Actually, I work for a, a Quaker organization now. I am a practicing Quaker, and I work for a Quaker organization. And my coworker, as we were in a Zoom meeting, she says, "Oh, Rashid, I'm reading your book now." And I was like, "Like, you know, not that I was ashamed that she was reading it, but it was such a surprise because she hadn't said anything before." But um excuse me, it really speaks to one, the support, you know, she's a white woman, she, you know, or she's white presenting. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that I, you know, would expect her to pick up if not for having known me. But I was, I am really hoping that she reads it. And she's like, you know, like that empathy that I mentioned that 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 gets, you know, kind of, you know, that she gets to look into a segment of African-American life and learn a little bit more in a way that's not harmful. Because, you know, when we talk about anti-racism within the Quaker spaces or otherwise, there is a segment of anti-racism that feels like tourism. And, you know, people want to learn how to be, you know, anti-racist and, then it's like, oh, wow, soul food. I've never had soul food. Can you take me to the soul food spot? Or can you take me to the black church? Or, you know, can you take me to Brixton? Um, you know, like, mm. you know, things like that. If, if there's any black people left in Brixton, but I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um. and um, you know, we fiction is important to developing that empathy without harm to a community without having people descend upon a community or a culture in, in a vulturistic sort of way. So, mm. um, you know, there, I've, I've met a lot of folks in college that have had their minds uh, exposed because of the works of Toni Morrison or because of the works of um, Gail Jones or, you know, uh, James Baldwin or something like that, someone like that. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a good way for people to start, start, start understanding anti-racism um, in a way which is not invasive, like you say, and, 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 and harmful. And yeah. Um, and I've been, I've been doing anti-racist work for, for a while and uh, I'm trying, I've been trying to find more people to, to read and more people to learn from. And like I say, I'll be, I'll definitely be checking out your, more of your work and, and maybe we can have you back and talk about it as well. Sure. Um, that would be great. Um, yeah. So um, where can people find you online? 
They can find me uh, first if they're uh, looking to buy my books. You can buy them from your favorite local bookstore. Um, my, they are distributed by Ingram. So if your bookstore is on the Ingram platform, then you can buy my books there or Amazon. I know a lot of people consider Amazon the evil empire. I have to say Amazon has been good to me as an independently published author and, and they really have been an equalizer. So if you just type in Rashid Darden into your favorite bookstore spaces, I'll come up. In terms of social media, I am at Rashid Darden almost everywhere, R-A-S-H-I-D-D-A-R-D-E-N. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I am on Facebook. Um, yeah. So like, if you just type in my name, pretty much the only other Rashid Dardens out there are not on social media the way that I am. Yeah, awesome. I would highly recommend all of that to everybody. Uh, really would. And this has been such a great conversation. I, I've learned so much. Uh, I'm so and, glad we were able to have it. Yeah, and it was fun as well. Like, you know, talking about Doctor Who, and I love talking about Doctor Who. Um, I need to do an episode of, of my Geek Philosophy series on Doctor Who soon. Maybe we could do that episode. Sure. Um, um, but, um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, follow Rashid on all the platforms and check out his work. And um, yeah, thanks Rashid for coming on, and uh, and thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>